We're going to get into our uh, final week in the pursuit, at least the final week here on Sunday mornings. We're in week number 10 of the pursuit. If you've missed it, we've been going through these, this whole summer. We've been talking about what it means to be a pursuer of God, a full circle pursuer of God. A full circle pursuer of God is someone who does these three things. They trust Jesus for salvation. That's how you start a relationship with God. You don't start a relationship with God because of your good works or your good deeds. You start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus for salvation. That's what the Bible says. And then God makes you new. And then what happens is you begin to do the second thing in that full circle pursuit, which is to honor God with your life and your lifestyle. And then finally, and this is what we're going to talk about today, the last thing that God wants for us, that Jesus envisions for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you would actually be a disciple maker. Jesus wants you to be a disciple maker. Now this message is specifically for people who call Alpine Church your home church. If this is your home church, if you say this is where I go to church, I I love coming here and uh, I love hearing a message, I love worshiping, great job Dave and worship team leading us today. If you call this your home church, I I really want you to tune into this message because it's a message you probably don't want to hear but it's a message that you need to hear because we're gonna talk about this third thing. And this third thing in the circle, this third thing in the picture is the thing that sadly most Christians never get to. Every Christian gets to the first thing. They trust Jesus for salvation. They become a Christian. They ask Jesus. They invite Jesus into their life, into their heart, and then they become a Christian. Many Christians get to the second thing where they honor God with their life and their lifestyle. Not not that we do it perfectly, but we're trying to honor God. But very few American Christians ever have the joy and the pleasure of making disciples. Very few Christians even recognize that it's something in the picture. Very few Christians even think that they should be doing it. Most Christians think, aren't I supposed to just go to church and try to be a good person? Actually, no. Jesus wants you to make disciples And today I want to tell you why. Today we're going to talk about why make disciples. Why does God want all of us to make disciples? And here's the big idea of today's message. Most Christians think we have to mature before we're qualified to make disciples. Some of you are probably sitting here saying, this message isn't for me. This message is for the really mature Christians who know their Bibles frontwards and backwards. They have they're, they're really strong. They're probably extroverts. They're really good at telling people about Jesus. And so this message is for somebody else. It's not for me. This message is for that small percentage of people who are really good at this kind of thing. Like Pastor John from our Layton campus. He's better than probably all of our pastors, although Eric is pretty good at this too. They're just very vocal about their faith. They're not ashamed to share Jesus with people. I, I'm actually not like that. I wish I were like that. I'm the guy that gets on a plane and puts my ear pods in and hope that nobody asks me what I do for a living. And if they do, I tell them I'm a math teacher. Because I just don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, I just want to read a book. I just want to relax. So don't, you're judging me again. I can feel it. Some of you are judging me again. I'm just saying that's how I am. We'll get like on a, we'll get, We'll get on a plane together with Pastor Eric and Pastor John and some of the other pastors, and by the time we land, wherever we're going, they've already shared Jesus with people next to them, in front of them, back behind them, and I just read a book. So, so I just want, I want you to know, like, I feel how you feel. If you're like, this isn't for me, 
Disciple making is not for me. It's for those kinds of people. It's for those more extroverted, kind of like they're, they're unashamed. But I, this is a message I needed to hear, and I think many of you need to hear it as well. God wants all of us, for followers of Jesus, he wants us to get in the game and make disciples, even if you're not mature enough to do it. Because the truth is, the Bible teaches that we mature by making disciples. It doesn't teach that we mature and then make disciples. It actually teaches that we step out of our comfort zone, start making disciples, and the process of doing that matures us. The process of sharing our faith with somebody, walking with somebody, helping somebody else pursue God, the process of doing that is the very thing that will mature us. I remember our daughter, who is a, very much an introvert in high school, she started discipling a small group of about three or four uh, junior high girls. She was in high school, she's a, and she's discipling these junior hires, and we got to see her blossom and grow as she discipled. And Kenzie's an introvert. Big time introvert. She pushed herself out of her comfort zone to do that. She invested in some other young women and her faith matured and grew stronger as she did it. She didn't wait until she was mature enough to be qualified to do it. Think about it, it's kind of like parenting. Raise your hand if you're a parent in here. If you have children, raise your hand. Look around, these people, none of these people, I promise you, none of these people was ready to have your first kid. Can I, can I get an amen to that? Who is ever ready to have a first kid? I remember 22 years ago, when almost 22 years ago, when, when Kenzie came into the world and she was our first one right here at, at uh, Ogden Regional Hospital. And I remember those first couple of days, we had all the nurses and the doctors around and everybody was supporting us and it was a piece of cake. It was so easy. And then they came into our room one day and they said, it's time for you guys to go. You need to go home. You need to leave now. And I, just, I remember thinking, how, how could you do this to us? <laughs> how, like, we don't know what we're doing. You didn't, you showed, you showed Tracy how to nurse. That's it? That's, that's the only instruction we get. Nothing else. I remember trying to change the diaper, and I, I, didn't, I didn't practice on watermelons and cats and stuff. Like, I was just like... <laughs> so unprepared. I remember they shoved us out of that hospital. I remember looking back and thinking, how dare you make us leave? And we didn't have adult supervision, you know? And I remember those first couple of weeks with, with Kenzie and just how, how precious and fragile she seemed to us. And thinking, we are so not ready for this. And nobody ever is. Guess what happens? Parents, you mature as you take on that responsibility. You grow and you learn as you parent. And then by the time AJ came along, it was no big deal. We're like, raise yourself, you know? <laughs> Some of you have like four, five, six kids. I know how it works with those last kids. Like, they are just total afterthoughts, man. They're on their own because you got it by now. Like, you'll, you're like they'll figure it out. See, the truth is we mature by doing the thing we're not quite ready for. If you wait until you're mature, you'll never make disciples because you'll never feel mature enough. You'll never feel ready enough. And so again, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you call Alpine your home church, I want you to hear this today. We want to equip you 
to make disciples. We want to help you to make disciples. This is one of our goals for your life. This is one of Eric's. It's the number one thing on Pastor Eric's job description is to empower you guys to make disciples. That's his job. That's his responsibility. And we take that responsibility very seriously. So today we're going to talk about three reasons that we should do this because I kind of have the sense that I need to convince you still. I need to convince you. By the way, we're not training you today. We're training you after the service. We're gonna have a training right after the service on how to do this. We're not training you yet in the next 20 minutes. We're just telling you why you need to do it. My goal is to convince you to go to the training right after the service today to be a disciple maker. Here's the first reason you should do it. We make disciples because Jesus said so. It's just that simple. Jesus said so, so we should do it. In the military, I think they say shut up in color. Is that right? I think that's the phrase, like just shut up and color. Don't ask questions, just do it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Look in Matthew 20, he said, all authority, this is the resurrected Christ talking to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he said, go. Go do what? Make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So I gotta say something about this, author, this word authority, two things that jump out at me with authority. Number one, it reminds me of my dad when he would say, go take the garbage out. And if any of us was stupid enough to ask why, he would just say, thank you. You guys were raised by a similar father, weren't you? Because I said so. That's all that a good dad does. Just because I said so. Shut up and color. I'm in charge. You're not. I said to do it. You go do it. Because I said so. And so we did it except for the youngest, the fifth, the one that raised herself. The youngest child is always the one that's pushing the boundaries, and we're just like, just don't do it. Just shut up and color, right? And I want you to know that Jesus said to go make disciples, so if you're a follower of Jesus, you should pay attention to the rest of the sermon because he told us to do it, and so we should be obedient. But there's something more to this word authority. There's another way to think about this. Another way to think about it is that Jesus is authorizing you to go make disciples. In other words, some of you might say, I don't think I should do this at work because the authorities at work wouldn't like this if I was a little more vocal about my faith. Guess what Jesus is saying to you? He's saying, my authority is higher higher than that authority at work. Some of you might work on base. You're like, oh, I don't, That's government work. I don't think I can, you know how the government is. Well, newsflash, the government encourages the secular world to promote their values. So if we as followers of Jesus aren't promoting biblical values, then nobody is gonna be hearing about Jesus at work. So Jesus would say to you, even if you work up there at Hill, Jesus would say to you, I hereby authorize you to go make disciples even on base. Now, I'm not saying that means you should bring your Bible and, and you know, stand at the gate right next to the security guy and, and you know, preach the gospel. That You don't have to go that far. But I am saying that you should feel the authority to speak up no matter where you are. Like, you shouldn't let the world, and we're gonna be talking more about the world in our spiritual warfare series, you shouldn't let the world 
silence you because the early Christians didn't let the world silence them. Because Jesus authorized them to speak and the authority that Jesus had is higher than any authority in this world or at work or in your neighborhood or even in your home. You have authority, Jesus said, to go make disciples. Now, by the way, I wanna show you how this passage right here, these three verses, gives us this picture. This is actually where we got the full circle picture from because look, Jesus said, I want you to go make disciples and here's what you're making. You're making the thing on the right. You're making people who trust Jesus. And the reason we know that he was telling people to invite, he was telling his disciples to invite people who didn't know Jesus to become Christians is because he said to go baptize them. And here's the thing, you don't baptize someone who's already a Christian. You baptize someone who just became a Christian. So in other words, when Jesus said go make disciples, he wasn't talking about a Bible study class in the church. That's not what discipleship is. Discipleship isn't a Bible study class here at Alpine Church. It's not a program that we're running. If that were the case, then then when Jesus said, go make disciples, then Peter would have turned to James and said, I want John in my Bible study group. I get to disciple John. But it wasn't about discipling Christians. It was about helping people who didn't know Jesus yet. So there's another word for this. It's called evangelism. So evangelism is the first part of discipleship. That means we have to be willing to share our faith. Now, I know some of you are like, I am not qualified. I don't know how to share my faith with somebody Pastor John from Layton tells a story on the podcast this week where he said he was, he was on a date with his wife in downtown Naperville, Chicagoland, and he saw this just beautiful old Asian lady. Don't judge me for this. There's a reason I'm saying she was Asian. She was on the corner handing out Bible tracts to people on the corner, just by herself, handing out Bible tracts, and she would just say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, everybody. You know what would happen is the people would take the tract and throw it in the garbage. <laughs> but she still just did it. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Well, Pastor John, he wasn't a pastor at the time, but he felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. So he went over and he grabbed one of the tracts and he read it. And sure enough, it was biblical. It was just right in line with everything that the Bible teaches. And he went, went and had dinner, came out after dinner. She's still out there handing out these tracts saying, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And he felt convicted to go up to her and help her. He goes up to her and he said, hey, I read your tract. It's beautiful. I love it. And I felt like the Holy Spirit is telling me that I need to stand here on the corner with you and, and help you and hand these tracts out to people. And she looks at him and she didn't understand a word that he said. Because <laughs> she only knows three words in English. Jesus loves you. So she was qualified to tell someone about Jesus, and she knows three words in your language, everybody. You are qualified to tell someone about Jesus. You can do it. If she can do it, you can do it. And that means in introducing people who are far from God and once they trust Jesus for salvation, we see that here all the time at Alpine and there's nothing like it to see someone come to faith and then get baptized. 
And that's part of what we're doing here as a church is we're making disciples. But look, then he says, here's what you do next. Once you baptize them, then you teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So that's the second part of the circle. Once, once they come to faith and trust Jesus, then you help them to learn how to honor God. I remember I was discipling a, a guy named Doug from this campus years ago. He first, he came to faith one week trusted Jesus for salvation. It was such a cool moment. And the next week we started talking about honoring God and, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I remember when I told him that, he said, tell me what? Tell me, what do I need to do? I mean, this guy didn't know anything about the Bible, Christianity. He was 50 years old and he had just become a Christian. And I said, well, I said, I don't, I don't, think, you, I don't think you really want to know the answer to that. He said, Brian, I want to know the answer. What do I do? How? How do I obey Jesus in my life? I said, well, for starters, you should stop sleeping with your girlfriend. And he said, all right, I'll do it. That's what the Bible says? I said, yeah, that's what the Bible says. He said, all right, I'll do it. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this really was a God thing that this guy came to faith because he didn't know anything about the Bible and how weird it must have been week two as a Christian that he learned something like this, that the world was saying this other thing all along and he was just living that out and now he becomes a Christian and he's got a whole new way that God wants him to live and he's signing up for it. He's aligning himself with it. See, our, our job is to teach people to obey everything that Jesus said and sometimes that means Life change. Sometimes that means that we have to deny some things that we otherwise would want to do or the world is telling us to do. But our job is to align ourselves with God and his word. And how important it is it for us to walk with people in relationship with people to be able to tell them that. Because right now I can already tell. I just put that out there. And some of you, I wish I could be telling you this in a relationship rather than just from a sermon. Because you don't get a chance to ask me any questions about what I just said. And some of you might want to push back on what I just said. Some of you young people might be in here wanting to push back on what I just said. But this is God's word. And Jesus said, I want you to baptize them and then I want you to teach them to be obedient to my way and my way is different from their way. And that's the second thing is we honor God. We don't just follow our own desires anymore. And then the third thing he said is go make disciples. It's actually the first thing he said. But clearly this commandment to his 11 disciples wasn't just for them, it was for us as well, 2,000 years later. He wants all of us to go make disciples. He wants all of us to go into the world and help people pursue God, help make people full circle followers of Jesus. But again, most of us never get to this third thing. We might get to the first thing, and many of us get to the second thing, but very few of us get to the third thing. Jesus wants us to. So the first reason we should make disciples, full circle followers, is because Jesus said so. Now that's really the only reason we should need, shut up and color, but I got two more for you. Reason number two, we make disciples because People are supposed to do the work, not just pastors. See, here's how the church works in America. It's worked this way for hundreds of years. You guys invite people to come to church, the minister does the ministry, and you hope that the minister did well and did a good enough job. I remember that's even how we did it here. I, years ago, we'd have people come, they were so good at inviting people. And by the way, it's good that you invite people to church. It's very good. But I remember right, just right here, I remember having this conversation right back here in the offices. Someone grabbed me after this, one of the services years ago and said, said, Brian, next week, next week my neighbor's finally going to come to church. I can't wait. I can't wait. Like, so preach a good one. 
Because that was their whole thing. Their, their, whole, their whole idea of how ministry worked at Alpine, the way it worked here is their job was to invite people to come to church and sit in the seats. And then my job or Eric's job or whoever is up here preaching, our job is to preach a good, really let them have it. Preach a really good sermon. And again, I think it's good that you're invitational. I think it's good that you want to hear a good sermon. But the problem is if you think that's the ministry that's going to change lives, that's not how it works. And this is what Paul told the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. He said this, here are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. So think of verse 11. Think of those as the paid staff at the church. And, and, and they are a gift. Pastor Eric is a gift to this church. The gifting that God has given him is truly a gift for this church. But here's what Paul said his job is, the pastor's job. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now that's interesting because that's not how churches in America work. This verse is saying that the pastor's job is to equip the people to do the ministry. But yet in our churches, we call this guy the minister. See, what Paul is saying is, you're the minister, this person's the equipper. This person's job is to equip regular people to do the ministry. So here's how that looks when you invite someone to church. Again, it's great to invite someone to church. I've just been telling you to invite someone to church next week. Invite them to church, but don't think your job is done when you invite someone to church and they hear the sermon. What happens next now that sermon now, when that's done, now the ball's back in your court to have a conversation with the person that you invited to church. See, that's the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry isn't just the person up here preaching for 30 minutes. The real work starts when the sermon's over. And now you got the rest of the week to unpack that with the person you invited. Or parents, you've got the rest of the week to unpack it with your kids or your teens See, that's disciple-making. Disciple-making is, is when the regular people do the work, building up the body of Christ, following up on whatever it is we're talking about. And it doesn't even have to be stuff we're talking about because sometimes the sermon that you heard on Sunday isn't the thing that you need to talk about that week with your family or with your small group. That's why we always encourage small group leaders. We're like, look, you can do the topic of the week at small group if you want, but you can also do whatever topic you want because you're ministering to your small group and you know better what they need than the pastor does. And so that's why we encourage disciple making is so flexible. Doing the work of the ministry is so flexible. And this is what Paul was telling the church in Ephesus. He said the pastor's job is to equip the people to do this ministry that happens all over the place. And then Paul said it like this to Timothy, his protege, he said this, look, look, Timothy, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. And he said, now I want you to teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will pass them on to still others. Do you see the generational ministry here? Look what he's saying. Paul's saying this. Somebody taught me, so the first generation taught me, so Paul's the second generation. And then Paul said, I taught you so Timothy's the third generation. And he said, I want you to pass it on 
to other trustworthy people, that's a fourth generation, who will pass it on to still more, that's a fifth generation. So look, just in this one verse, 2 Timothy 2.2, we have five generations of disciple making. And this is how God wants it to work. That's, that's why, parents, it's so important that you're passing on your faith to your kids, and your kids are passing on their faith to their kids, your grandkids, and on and on down the line. But yet, that's not how it works in our churches today. 80% of kids raised in the church bail on their faith by the time they leave the home and go to college. 80%. That's crazy. I bet you the number's even higher now. So what's, clearly what's happening is our, our strategy of just bringing kids to church or bringing kids to kids' church or bringing kids to youth group and saying, it's your job, pastor, to do the work of the ministry, that's not working. And it's not supposed to work because it's your job to do the work of the ministry. Disciple-making has to happen generationally. This is what Scripture tells us. And one last reason that we make disciples we do it because the crowds are confused and helpless. I, rem- I so remember this. When we, were, when we just started the church, we were at the playhouse still. I remember, I w- I remember one young, young mom came up one time after the service and she was just broken and she shared some of her needs and she just was overwhelmed by, by the responsibility in her life as a single mom to raise her kids. And I remember praying for her, praying for her, and sending her away and watching her walk away and just thinking, that can't be it. That can't be, that can't be all that we do for her. But for years, that's all we did for people. Is we put on a Sunday morning, people would come on occasion and pray with us afterward, and we'd pray, our, I mean, our best prayer. And for years, we would just send them away, and that was it. It was just a prayer. Some good advice and a prayer. Today, we do more than that. Today, if someone comes forward and prays with us, we pray, just in the first service, I had some, a, a gentleman come up and, and, and we prayed with him. And then we said, we wanna connect you to a mentor, a discipler. We wanna connect you to someone who can help you. You know why? Because the crowds, no offense crowd, the crowds are confused and helpless. A sermon isn't enough. Preaching a sermon for 30 minutes gets your, gets your, maybe gets you thinking, gets you going. Maybe something that I said today, really, you're going to say, I, I, I need to think some more about that. But here's the thing is, you're probably going to go to lunch, and you're going to have a good lunch, and then you're going to watch some TV, and you're going to forget about it. And this is what happens every week, week in and week out. And so, so the truth is that a 30-minute sermon just isn't enough, and this is what Jesus realized in Matthew chapter 9. It says that after he preached this great sermon to the crowds, and it was a great sermon, it said that he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Friends, if the crowd was confused and helpless after Jesus' sermon, you better believe they're going to be confused and helpless after my sermon or Pastor Eric's sermon. So Jesus himself even recognized that his sermon still left people confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and yet Jesus is the great shepherd. How could they be sheep without a shepherd? Because Jesus wasn't personally shepherding them. If there were a thousand people there, there's no way he was personally shepherding a thousand people. He was just preaching a sermon. There's nothing wrong with sermons. 
It's just that sermons aren't the end game. This is what Jesus is saying here. Sermons aren't the end game. So look at what happens next. He turns to his disciples and he says, hey, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So he said, so pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and pray that he would send out more workers into the field. See, Jesus recognized that pulpit ministry, it's not bad. Jesus still did it. I'm not saying this is bad. Please don't fire us. This is still appropriate, but this isn't what it's ultimately about. What, he's saying, what he recognizes is pulpit ministry set up the shepherding ministry. Pray to, the Lord, pray to the Lord that he would send out more shepherds, more workers. So the pulpit ministry is supposed to set up the discipling ministry in the church. So this is supposed to be catalytic but what should happen next is in small groups and with your families and one-on-one, men meeting with men and women meeting with women and couples meeting with couple, couples. What should happen next is throughout the week as there's real ministry happening, when people are r- rolling up their sleeves together and, and looking at scripture together and letting God apply it to their lives and asking questions and getting answers and wrestling through this and struggling through this together because the life of faith takes more than 30 minutes or 60 minutes on a Sunday. This is what Jesus was saying. So his answer to this problem wasn't more pulpit preachers. His answer to the problem was more workers in the field, more shepherds going one-on-one or two-on-two. And what's cool about this is if you, if you turn the page to, Matt, this is the end of Matthew 9, and Matthew chapter 10 opens with Jesus cooking eggs for breakfast for his disciples. Look it up. Now that's my, that's my verb, that's how I imagined it. And they'd wait, they woke up after a prayer night of praying that the Lord would send more workers into the field, and Jesus beat them all up, and then he's making breakfast for them, and he says, good news, everybody, Jesus answered your prayer. He's handing out the eggs and the bacon and the pancakes, and they're like, oh, this is awesome, as Peter's stuffing his faith, face with the food, and who, who is it, Jesus? Where's the answer? And Jesus said, you're the answer to the prayer. And Jesus sends out, in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out his disciples two by two into the world. And the truth is, you're the answer to his prayer. This prayer right here, you're the answer. You and I are the answer. Jesus wants us to go into the field and go make disciples. This is what Alpine Church is about. We are determined for the last 10 years. We realize the first 10 years, we don't think we quite understood this. But for the last 10 years, we've understood it and we've totally reorganized our whole church. And we're all about equipping you to help people pursue God. We're all about doing that now. That's what, that's, what we, that's what we do in our meetings, in our pastoral staff meetings. We're always talking about this. We're always strategizing this. This is Pastor Eric's number one thing on his job description. It's the number one thing on my job description. Like our whole goal isn't to preach good sermons. Our whole goal is to equip you to go make disciples. It's to equip you to go full circle. So if you call Alpine Church your home church, then we want to invite you to learn how to do just this at Alpine Church. And again, as soon as this service is over, in about 15 minutes, we're going to have a, a, tra- a follow-up training. You know, the pursuit is actually 12 lessons. But here this summer, we're only covering 10 lessons. We're stopping today with lesson 10 because the lessons 11 and 12, we're going to do in a workshop setting right after the service today. And we want to encourage you to join us 
and to learn how to do this. Today I've talked about why you should do it, but we want to teach you how to make disciples. I hope you'll stick around and do just that. Listen, if that precious little old lady who only knew three words in English, if she could do it, you and I can do it as well. And God will be with us. He promised it. Jesus said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. But let's be obedient. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would move us to be obedient to your commandment. There are so many commandments in the Bible that that you give us that are no-brainers to follow. And we would call people out in our families or in our small groups or in this church. We'd call them out if if they were living disobedient lives in relationship to some of those other commandments, the obvious ones. But yet this commandment to go make disciples, which was kind of the last one you gave us, so few of us do. And so God, I pray that you would convict us. God, that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be mature because we won't be mature until we start making disciples. That's how you will mature us. That's how you will grow us up. And so God, I pray that you would get more of us in the game and that the result would be many more changed lives this next year at Alpine Church. We trust you for it. God, now I pray that you would send us out in Jesus' name. Amen.